I'd like for you to turn to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. And there is a question in the beginning of this that really um, introduces the, um, the thought I want to try to develop tonight on how to hear from God or how to hear God when He speaks. The question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ, do you believe in the Son of Man? And then he goes on to develop the idea that, that um, God speaks. He, he has sheep and they hear His voice. The implication is, is that if a person has a belief system that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that that develops for him a capacity to hear God. And so I want to talk about how to know when God speaks or how you hear from God. But we'll read verse, uh, beginning at verse 35 of chapter 9, and we'll go through verse 5 of chapter 10, and really there's no division there. There are chapter divisions in the Bible because the translators put them there, but they're not in the Greek manuscripts. Take my word for it. I didn't write the manuscripts, but I have read them. Okay, here we go. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered him and said, And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things, and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door, he is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. You and I have a were made, designed to hear God. Um, you have a capacity to hear Him. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the ears of the heart. What that means is, is that God has so designed you that He could communicate with you, He could talk to you, and that you could hear Him. And every believer has the capacity to hear God. That's the purpose for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you in order that God through the Holy Spirit might commune with you. And it's my 
opinion and belief that the Holy Spirit abiding in the believer is the believer's greatest asset. Now you may say that the believer's greatest asset is the Word of God. I say to you that the believer's greatest asset is the Holy Spirit, which is the better to have the book or the author of the book. You could have the book and not know the author, and you may not know what the book means because you don't have the author there to explain the book. The truth is that the early Christians in the New Testament age had no copies of Scripture. Most of them had never even seen a copy of Scripture. At least they didn't have the New Testament as we have it. The epistles were passed around as these uh, writers would write them. They didn't have the Word of God as such, like we have, of course, but they had the author of the Word of God, and thus they had access to the mind of God because the believer's greatest asset is the Holy Spirit. Now, somebody uh, might say, well, you know, if I just had Jesus with me all the time, sitting here beside me or with me in the, in the day, it would be easy to live the Christian life. At least I would know, you know, what God was saying because Jesus could just whisper in my ear. I want to tell you something astounding. Jesus is more accessible to you than he ever was to Peter and James and John. You not only have Jesus, the other Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit with you, but you have him abiding within you, and you have greater access to Jesus and what Jesus said and says than Peter and James and John ever had. We just need to learn to communicate with him. Now, frequently I'm asked uh, this question, how can a person know when it's God speaking to him? How can I know the difference between God's voice and my, what I want for myself or the devil's voice? Well, that's what I want to try to help us to see tonight because I do believe that God speaks to us and that we can know what God has to say to us. We have greater access to that than Peter and James and John. Let me say two or three things by way of principle. First of all, when God speaks, He's very personal. He's very personal. He speaks to you on a person-to-person -person basis. He never uses you all. You know? I mean, He always speaks to us personally. He calls us by name. Now, there's an interesting story that develops out of the Old Testament, and you remember the character Hagar. She is... Uh, Sarah's uh, handmaiden, and Abraham takes her to have a child with Hagar because he gets out of patience with God, and he gets in a hurry, wants a son. And so he takes Hagar to, be his, to bear him a son, and Sarah's jealous. And so she runs, she uh, dismisses Hagar, runs her off, and she's out in the backside of the desert, out there, sitting by a spring in the desert, and God comes to her. This is what he says. Hagar calls her by name. Where are you coming from and where are you going? In other words, Hagar, what's the matter with you, dear? And he calls her by name. 
And Hagar begins to tell God what's going on between she and Sarah. She says, well, Sarah's run me off because Sarah's jealous. And, he, and she gives him the whole story, and this is what God says. He said, I want you to go back and be, the, and be subject to the authority of Sarah, your, 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 your uh, boss, your uh, mistress. I want you to go back and, 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 and deal with her on a person-to-person basis. Now the point of this story is that most of us, that's the way God deals with when we have conflict in relationships. I found this to be true, that when I go to God about you, He usually turns back in on me. I mean, I want to talk to Him about you, the problem I might have with you. And I've observed that whenever you go to talk to God about a conflict in relationships, He always talks to me about the changes I need to make. Now I may be praying about what I need, I'd like to see changed in you. And God always talks to me on a personal basis and says, I want to talk to you about the changes you need to make within your own life because when God speaks to us, He speaks to us on a personal basis. Now because He is personal, two things are essential. First of all, He's very relevant. He never jumps into the tomorrows. Watch this. The God who said... Don't take thought of tomorrow doesn't spend a lot of time with tomorrows. What he does talk about, what he does deal with on a personal basis with us is what about today and the relevancy of bills that need to be paid tomorrow and decisions or today and decisions that need to be made today and daily bread because the only time on God's calendar is now. Now, how can you know the voice of God? Well, first of all, He deals with you on a personal basis and He talks about the moments, the present. He talks about the todays of your life. And so if, you hear, if you're trying to talk about next year and promises the future, it's not going to be probably what God's going to be talking to you about. Second, because He is personal, he communicates with us on the level of where we are. Now watch this. When you talk to your children, you talk to them on the level of where your children are, what they can understand. You know, most of the problem we have in trying to determine what God has to say to us is that we're expecting God to give us some you know, profound insight into Scripture. You know, just zap us with this marvelous disclosure that Martin Luther hadn't even thought of. And we expect God to communicate with us on a level that is profound and spectacular. And most of us miss what God has to say because we're expecting God to tell us something very difficult to do. And most of the time, God will just tell us something that I can do or you can do as a young Christian, as a baby Christian, or even as an immature Christian, when he speaks to us, he talks to us about daily mundane things that you and I can do. Now, it's hard for me to believe that you're going to sit down tomorrow and God's going to tell you to smuggle Bibles into China, so you might as well forget about listening for that. But what he might tell you to do he might tell you to take a hot plate of food across the street to your neighbor's been sick, doesn't feel like cooking. He might tell you to do that. 
When I first moved here, one night my, my doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and there was a stranger there. Just about everybody was strange. I hadn't been here about a month. I didn't know who this guy was, but he came in. He said, I want to, you know, the new pastor at First Baptist Church. And I said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the guy. He said, I'd like to talk to you about what I believe God telling me to do. And he said, I need some sponsors. He said, I believe that God has told me to take a big cross and walk across America carrying this cross. And I just need some sponsors who will sponsor me to do that. Now, I wasn't as revved up about sponsoring him as he was about being sponsored, you know, to carry this cross about across America. And so I, I asked about him, you know, to find out about him. Found out he had a wife who was making, his living, making a living, three children that needed a daddy with him. And I had a pretty strong suspicion <laughs> that God wasn't going to tell this young man to get across and rock, walk across America. What he might tell him to do was to go across the street and that, where that widow lady lived and had a broken down lawnmower and, you know, grass up to her knees and mow her lawn for her. And I was willing to help sponsor buying a new lawnmower for this lady across the street if somehow he uh, felt like that's what God was telling him to. You know what I'm saying? Can you identify with that? And so I was walking down the hall of the hospital last week and this lady came up to me and she said, Are you Pastor Tidwell of First Baptist Church? I said, Yes, I am. She said, I just, I know this is a, this has to be of God because my, my mother's out here and we're fixing to transfer her to a new hospital and she needs somebody to go into her room and encourage her. I felt like that's what, you know, I mean, that, I heard God saying that, you know what I'm saying? So when God speaks to us, He speaks to us in, a, in relevant ways at the level of where you and I are and He usually tells us something that you and I can do. Now, because he's very personal, watch this. If he tells me that I have a sin in my life that I need to get rid of, I cannot assume that he's told everybody in this auditorium the same thing. Now, one of the big problems we have is that we assume since God has pointed out a sin in our life, and everybody ought to have the same kind of voice from God. Now, I can't assume if God deals with me on a personal basis that what He wants of my life now and what He wants out of my life and into my life can be assumed by everybody here. You understand what I'm saying? This is yes and this is no. Now, I'm not going to let you get by with just sitting there tonight. I mean, we've got to get into this a little bit, Okay. We may have to start singing again and clapping. We're going to get into this. All right, number two. We're going to number two. God doesn't drive us. He leads us. And that's what this verse, this passage says. He says that he leads his sheep out. He leads them. He leads them. A common sign, a common sight if you travel in the Holy Land is a shepherd, this old shepherd, with sheep following. Now, it's a, it's a strange sight. We, we were on a tour bus one time, and, and we were headed down to Jericho, and, and, and we had to stop two or three times because there'd be these shepherds, you know, crossing the road, and they'd be walking across the road, and there'd just be hundreds of sheep just following him. Now, our idea is that, you know, in our culture, you know, you get animals, you drive them. These guys would just walk and these sheep would follow them. He leads. Elijah made a discovery that made a difference. He discovered that God speaks in a still, small voice. 
And usually, because he speaks in a very quiet way, he will not speak until we get quiet. He will not speak until we get quiet. And because he speaks in an inner voice, he will not speak until we get quiet within. So when we're ready to stop worrying and tearing ourselves to pieces with anxiety, when we're willing to be still inwardly and eternally, internally, then God will speak to us there. Where did we ever get the idea that God is this boss that wants to give us another job? He may just want to love on you for a little while. You just get, you get quiet and he just may want to just tell you how much he loves you and how beautiful you look. Um, somebody uh, who has practiced this kind of idea says that every night before he goes to, to, to sleep, he just sits alone with God for a while and he just asks God, asks God this question. How much do you love me? I mean, we know he loves us. I mean, he's already told us that unconditionally he loves us. So you don't have to ask him, Lord, do you love me? He just says, I just ask God how much he loves me. And I just listen for, for the answer. And God will tell me how much he loves me. Sometimes it's as broad as Calvary's extension. Whatever, you, whatever he says, it's just God loving on him. You ever tried that? Don't knock it till you try it. I mean, before you go to sleep tonight, why don't you just get quiet? And just ask God how much He loves you. And then listen to what He says. I have two things about this. When God speaks, He convicts, but He does not condemn. Now, if you hear a little voice inside of you telling you how bad you are, that you're no good, that you're a loser, that you're a failure, that you're bad, that's condemnation, and you know that that's what the devil puts in you in order to make you feel down and bad and discouraged. Now listen to the difference. The difference is that when God speaks, He convicts, and this is what conviction is. He tells us what we did wrong and what to do about it. He tells us what we did wrong and he always tells us what to do about it. So when you feel this, when you hear this, con this condemnation that you're a terrible person, you can mark it off. That's not God talking. It's the devil talking. And when God speaks, he'll say, Now, Gerald, you did this wrong. Now, let me tell you what you need to do about it. I think sometimes we think we're supposed to feel guilty. I mean, we... I've had people tell me, man, that was a great sermon, I feel terrible. <laughs> but we, we think that, 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 that Christians are people that feel just terrible all the time. We, we think we need to feel guilty. I was in a, uh, a conference one time and this pastor got up, this, this leader, leader of this conference, he was a, a preacher. And he said, um, how many of you have not sinned this morning? Well, there wasn't a one of us going to hold up our hand. How many of you have not sinned today? Then, then he said, how many of you have already sinned this morning? It's a little early, but how many of you have already sinned this morning? Everybody held up their hand. Now I was thinking, I don't know what I've done, but I must have done something. You know, I mean, I've got to raise up my, about to raise up my, I, I, I'm bound to be guilty of something. I mean, I'm a sinner, 
and, and, and sinners sinned, so I don't really remember anything I did wrong, but must have been something. I must have thought something. I must have done something because everybody's supposed to feel guilty about it. You know? How long do you think a Christian can live without sin? You think a Christian can live a minute without sin? How about five minutes without sin? Let me tell you how long you can live without sin. You can live without sin as long as you choose to obey God in everything. Now when the Holy Spirit convicts, He tells you what you've done wrong and what you need to do about it, and it's the devil that tells you you're a bad person. That leads me to point two. Under point two, okay? That'd be point B under point two. Okay, point B. God convicts one's behavior, but He does not condemn one's personhood. I want you to hear that. He convicts one's behavior, but He doesn't convict because it doesn't condemn one's personhood. He'll never run you down as a person. Now, when you have an attack on your personhood, then you need to understand that that's of the devil because he will not attack your personhood. Do you think it's an... Do you think it's a mark of humility, of Christianity, to go around thinking how terrible a person you are? Now, I'm not going to minimize sin, and I'm not making light of this, but I want you to notice something from Scripture. The Bible says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And the Bible says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of righteousness. Now let me ask you, when was the last time you heard a preacher talking about being convicted of righteousness? Been a long time. Now, somebody said to me one time, I like preachers who will just name sin and get after it. I mean, name them. Get up there and you know, name sin and let the chips fall where they may. That's okay. That's the way it ought to be. But at the same time, what about this? What about naming righteousness and, and, and presenting the gospel truth that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict of righteousness. Listen, folks, our position is that we are in Christ and we are clothed with His righteousness. Now, uh, lest I be misunderstood, I need to say this so you can understand me. When God looks at us, He looks at us in the perfection of His Son so that positionally we have perfection, righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Now, I'm not minimizing sin, but I am magnifying the fact that there is also the reality that you have the righteousness of Christ as your possession. That needs to be emphasized as well. Let Let me ask you this. If you had a guy dressed up in a white suit, I mean, he is, he's in a beautiful white suit. He looks like Dr. Criswell. I mean, he's dressed up in a white, more of somebody you could probably more identify with, a Kentucky colonel. I mean, he, he got on a white suit and a orchid tie, and he's just dressed out in this white suit. And with him 
is this guy that's just crawled out from under an old beat-up car. He's been working on the underbelly of an old beat-up car, and he's greasy and grimy and dirty. Let me ask you, which of the two do you think would be most careful about dirt? Well, a guy that's greasy and filthy, he's saying, what a little, another one little more squirt of oil, what's it going to make any difference? Well, a little more dirt on me won't make a bit of difference. But you got the guy in the white suit, he's thinking, man, watch out for that dirt. Don't want a spot of dirt on this lily white suit. Now, you put that in, 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 in terms that you can understand. If you understand tonight that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you have the position of being in the perfection of Jesus Christ, what does that do to you? It makes you want to say, i got to be careful about sin. He doesn't like pride, so I've got to be very careful about pumping up myself. He doesn't like unforgiveness, so I must be careful about holding grudges. And when I understand what I really am in Jesus Christ, it inspires me to become what I already am. And that, my friend, is the emphasis of the New Testament. Becoming what you already are, in reality becoming what you are positionally. When God speaks, He convicts, but He doesn't condemn. Number three, when God speaks, He speaks a word of hope. You'll never come away from God without hope. I need to say that again. You will never come away from God without hope. And if you've heard some inner voice that has left you with despair and hopeful, hopelessness, you can understand that's not of God. Now, occasionally, I'll hear somebody say, you know, well, the Bible says that you can send away the day of grace. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to hear preachers doing revivals, and they'd say, now, you better be saved tonight because you might go away from here. If you reject Jesus Christ one more time, you might cross a line and never could be saved. And I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody take a gamble on that, do that? Well, I'm here to tell you, you may disagree, you've got a right to be wrong. But if you go away from any time, you go away from God, hopeless, you've never been to God. Because when God speaks, He speaks in hope. There's possibilities for you. There is change on the horizon for you. There is life for you. There is peace available to you. For when God speaks, He speaks in hope. Somebody said that God won His reputation through mercy. He will always be merciful. Now I want you to go back to verse 1 of chapter 10. Get this, some application and we're out. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. Now, how does God's voice enter you? How, how does God speak to you? I had a man say to me one time, I don't know what you people are talking about, I've never heard God speak, never heard God ever speak. How does God's voice enter you? He enters, that voice enters you through the door of the will. 
Now listen to what I'm saying. When I really want God to speak to me, He will. Or He will tell me why He won't. Do you get that? When I really want to hear from God, He will speak to me or He'll tell me why He won't. Can you imagine? Could you imagine ever in the wildest imagination, could you ever imagine that Peter or John or some of these disciples would go up to Jesus and ask Him a question and He'd say to them, I don't have time for you guys. I'm not going to talk to you people. You made me mad yesterday and I'm going to have to get over it. Can you ever imagine in your wildest imagination any of these disciples ever going to Jesus and ask him a question he wouldn't answer or tell them why he wouldn't answer? Why do you feel like it's any different? The problem is not that God no longer speaks. The problem is, is that we're not willing to hear. All right, the application. I'll give you, I want to give you five or six warnings. Number one, now listen to them carefully. I may get on a couple of toes, but that's okay. I'll fist fight you, knuckle fight after it's over. You don't want to do it. You want to have a bare knuckle fight? We'll do it. <laughs> Be careful, number one. Be careful of anything outside the bounds of biblical revelation. And anything that you hear God saying that is para-Bible, para-Biblon, outside the Bible, you better watch out about it. Now, there are a lot of folks who are saying, you know, I have the Bible, but I have another word from God. I have a word from God that's kind of an addendum to the Bible. It's kind of an addition to the Bible. Here, let me take, let me have you, you take my book and you read this book because this book will help you understand this book. And any book that you put your hands on that is a book that is supposed to be a, a, an addendum, an addition to the Bible, you better be aware, better be, uh, you know, that's suspect. You better be warned about it. Outside the revelation of God. Let me tell you something. God is never going to tell anybody anything that is contrary to this word right here. Heard occasional whimper, amen, but not very strong. Okay. Now, God's not going to lead you. Here, here, person, he's not going to lead you to cheat on your tax so you, income tax so you can give more to God. I mean, you know that, huh? He, he's never going to tell you to do something wrong so that you can do something right. You can't do that. That's not in there. Number two. Be careful with the big things that involve other people. If it affects other people, you need to consult with them. Now this is what I'm trying to talk tell you about here. Part of the trouble we have in the church, in the church is in, 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 in the larger body, is that too many people have said, God told me to tell you this. God told me to tell you this. And if God has told you to tell, you know, this group something, be very careful about that. One night I finished prayer meeting. I, well, 
before prayer meeting, I saw this guy come in. I was pastor of church up in Iowa Park, Texas, that same one where uh, uh, Dana's uh, brother-in-law pastors. And uh, I saw this guy come in. Oh, man, we got a newcomer in town. He's a, he's a Wednesday nighter. <laughs> this is great. Hope he, hope, he, hope he likes us. Comes to church on Wednesday night. So I did my little Wednesday night devotional and prayer time, and I started to dismiss. And he said, pardon me, sir, could I say a word? He said, God has sent me to this church to give a warning. And then he started in on, and you know, he's going to have a little prophetic warning. To, I said, hold it there. You know, I decided that he wasn't uh, what I, <laughs> Wednesday night or like I was hoping he was. I, I said, hey, you can talk to any of these people after the service that, will want, that wants to talk to you. But if you have some word from God for these people, God hadn't told me about it and while I'm pastor here, I'll give the word from God. You need to be very careful about somebody telling you God's told me to tell you something. You know what I'm saying? All right, number three. Don't try to put what God has put on you on somebody else. Don't try to put on somebody else what God has put on you. Now, there's all kinds of applications there, and I, I, um, I, I need to be careful lest I, you know, get, a little, get too close to meddling. But sometimes, when you tell me to go witness to somebody who is lost, it may be that God has told you to do that. Now, I'm, I'm happy to do that but not if it's what God wants you to do. You understand what I'm saying? And God might tell you that you shouldn't have a television in your house, but don't lay that on me. Especially during March Madness when we got all these basketball games. <laughs> I mean, don't do that to me now. So, so don't put on somebody else what God's put on you. All right? Number four. Don't try to make what God tells you to do last forever. Now, I want you to get this, please. What I just said, you don't understand. But, but, but sometimes, you know, God leads us through periods, and, and, and as we mature in those periods of time, He moves us on to something else. For example... It may be that God wants you to, to get up in the morning at 5 o'clock and spend an hour in Bible study and prayer. He might want you to do that. He might tell you to do that. That doesn't mean that, that, that you're going to be getting up at 5 o'clock every morning for the rest of your life. What that means is, is that God at this period in your life knows that you need that discipline. And when you reach the point where He's ready to move you on to something else, He'll do that. You need to be, under, you understand what I'm saying? I hope you can, I hope you can get, get the idea. You ask, a, you ask a 12-year-old kid, what he th boy, what he thinks about girls. He'll gag. I'm, he, he'll, he'll, he'll cause them it, it, names I couldn't call him from the pool. He, he hates them. <laughs> you come back to that same guy four years later and ask him what he thinks about girls. I mean, they're, they're wonderful. 
They're, they're God's gift to the world. Hey, he wants all he can get of girls. And, and he'll, you know, because maturity has a way of changing the way you see things. You know what I'm saying? And so, what, what happened three years ago is God's dealing in your life. You need to understand that God may be wanting you to move on to something else. Now here's what happens. We get hung up on something that God wanted for our life way back when we were immature baby Christians. And it's boring and tiresome to us now. And the reason why we don't like it anymore is because God wants us to move on to something better. We, we get ready to get out of the milk into the meat and, and the bread and the potatoes and that kind of stuff. All right, number five. Got two more. Don't be too dogmatic. Don't be too dogmatic. I mean, use some discretion. Don't say, I believe God is leading me to say this to you. I've had a lot of that. And number six. Don't neglect certain channels. I mean, God-given channels. God speaks through people. And uh, hard as it is to admit, guys, sometimes He speaks through the wife. You ever notice that? Hard to admit. That's a killer. And sometimes spiritual, spiritual authorities, God speaks through them. And sometimes he speaks through kids. Now, um, Jennifer and, and Brandy, we, 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 got, we, we got some good things going here. These are precious girls. And the other night they, they came up to him and they said, what's the matter with us here? We don't have our prayer time anymore. You know what God did to me? He said, Tittle, you've been neglecting something just because you didn't want to spend the time to do it. You wanted that time preach, you know, preach. And, and, and God does speak through us to, through channels. Sometimes he, he communicates to us through our parents. No, oh, come on. Hey, no. Through our kids, through our spouse, through that guy that comes in uh, walking in off the street and reeking with alcohol. God has a way of speaking. And don't neglect to listen to Him in those ways, those channels. Let's pray together. Father, talk to us now. In the inner part of our being, tell us what You want us to do about this moment in time. Not to worry about, not worried about next week or next month or next year, but just what you want for us right now. And God help us to be obedient what you tell us in our heart. Jesus, we want you to tell us how we're to respond to this moment in time. We'll be obedient to what you say. Amen. Now, there might be some of you tonight that God has spoken to your heart about your own need to be saved. He's not going to condemn you. 
He's just going to give you hope. Maybe you need to come tonight to join a church or to get something in your life that you've been struggling with, can't get past. God's pointed that out over and over again, and you'll not get past it. Until you're ready to deal with that, you can't go on. Why don't you make that, get that all straightened out tonight while we stand. We invite you to come publicly while we sing.